You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Today, we are so excited to have um, a guest on with us. His name is Rob Kurz. And um, he formerly played for Notre Dame um, for college. He is a former NBA player. Um, He played with Golden State for a year, but spent the majority of his career playing overseas in Spain, Germany, and France. And we are so excited to have him on the show. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, tell them where you're from, kind of what your background entails, and tell us about where your passion for basketball began. Sure, sure. Um, So I grew up in the uh, Philadelphia area, Um, went to William Penn Charter uh, High School. Um, I was fortunate enough to have um, Sean Singletary, another NBA player um, on my high school team, as well as uh, Matt Ryan. Uh, the quarterback of the Falcons. Um, we had some other young, good young talent on my high school team as well. We had a, a kid, Sam Zaglinski, um, who ended up playing at the University of Virginia. Um, and then we had Zach Zaglinski, who played uh, Division One basketball as well, along with my little brother, Chris, who played at BU. So uh, we were fortunate. We had a very, very good team. Um, and then from there, I was blessed to play at Notre Dame. Um you know, had a good career at Notre Dame and then was fortunate enough to, to make it to the NBA before uh, spending the majority of my career in um, Spain, France, and Germany, as you mentioned. Um, you know, in terms of my love for the game, uh, I grew up in a family that loved hoops. Uh, my sister was actually a great basketball player. She was an All-American at Villanova. Um, she coaches at Drexel currently uh, as an assistant coach. Uh, my mom and dad both played uh, hoops in college at Lafayette. So, you know, they put basketballs in our cribs when we were younger. And so um, I was just immediately drawn to the game. Um, you know, I love sports, but uh, basketball really kind of stood out to me and was always my first love. So it's been a big part of my life, uh, you know, since I was five or six years old and um, was thankful enough, uh, lucky enough to be able to have a brief career playing professionally. And um, yeah, basketball has been great to me. I feel like uh, I owe my family and you know, my kids, uh, I wouldn't have had it if I didn't get a scholarship to Notre Dame where I met my wife. So, you know, basketball is a, an integral part of my lo- uh, my life for sure. Hey, Rob, so I'm going to start off with the questions, man. I just want to tell the listeners, man, this is a really good dude right here. Uh, one of my friends growing up too. Um, Rob was a guy that was ahead of his time. Um, Rob, in your basketball game, you – 610, 6'9, 6'10, probably list you at 6'10. You were able to shoot the ball. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people back then at your size, you you was like a mismatch because of your ability that you had, man. So you know, a lot of people didn't might not have known that. I just want to put that out there. But the question I have first is when did you realize, whether it was high school, whether it was middle school, when did you realize that you had an ability to be really good at basketball? Because you were a good basketball player. A lot of people play basketball but you were a good basketball player. When did you realize that? Yeah, thanks so much for, for saying that. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because my sister, uh, you know, was even even a bigger star than me. You know, my sister arguably had a had a better um, high school and, and college career. Um, 
you know, I would say that probably by the time I was in like eighth or ninth grade, you know, I felt like I had a good opportunity to play division one. Um, you know, at that point, my focus was, you know, from the time I was probably in sixth, seventh grade, it was okay. You know, I want to play in college, right. Your focus is on, you know, I want to play division one. I want to find a good fit. Um, so I would say like I spent from, you know, 12, 13 to junior, senior year in high school, like, you know, trying to find out how to get to college, right. How to get a scholarship. Um, and then, you know, I think once I got to college, you know, the goal was, okay, you know, I want to be a starter. I want to be all conference, you know, how do I get to the, how do I get to the NBA? Um, so I kind of always set goals for myself and I think that's what, you know, kind of really helped me, but I think I probably noticed that I had a good opportunity to play, you know, at division one, um, you know, in that like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, when you can, you're kind of comparing yourself against your, your peers and, you know, you think you're in the, you know, top echelon, you remember what it was like growing up. We had, you know, a lot of good players, Kyle Lowry, Sean Singletary, all in the same crew. So, um, thankfully those guys were my friends and we kind of all pushed each other in the same class, um, you know, to kind of get to the next level. And I think that was a big key for, for my success. Hey Rob, thank you for coming on the show. So my question is, how was that transition from high school and college? That speed, the the the, the strength, and and how the game was was maturing to us that feel. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, people always ask like, what's the biggest jump? Is it from high school to college, or you know, college to the NBA? And I think it's different because you know, when you're in high school to college, you're really kind of dealing with that jump from you know boyhood to manhood. And so, you know, for me, the biggest challenge was, you know, I was a six, nine, you know, 200 pounds soaking wet and, you know, playing against the physicality and, and strength of guys that were, you know, 21, 22. Um, so as much as the speed of the game, I think it was the just the physical maturity of, of you know, college players. Um, so I think that was the biggest adjustment was just getting used to the, you know, size, speed and strength of, of college. And the NBA is just a it's another jump, but. Um, you know, everybody's bigger, faster, stronger. The game um, is obviously played differently because of the spacing. So with the NBA three-point line, you have better, bigger athletes playing with more space. So it's kind of a, a whole nother jump. But I would say, uh, honestly, I think the jump from high school to college is, is arguably even bigger. By the time you're ready to go to the NBA, you know, you're already kind of elite in the college level. Um, and it's another big jump, but I think it was the, the harder jump arguably was, you know, high school to college. So as you played um, college and then went to the NBA, you played a year for the Warriors. Uh, what was thought process went through your mind um, when you decided to leave the NBA and go overseas? Yeah, great question. So, you know, it was, it was a, it was kind of a weird time. Um, you know, so I was fortunate enough to play for the Warriors and, uh, you know, we had uh, four rookies. Well, we had three rookies plus, um, you know, a bunch of uh, second year players. So the Warriors were going through a period where, you know, they really wanted to bring in more veterans. Um, you know, they had kind of a changing of the guard going on. So they're, you know, kind of at that point, um, you know, they wanted to bring in, um, you know, some older guys. And at my position, they had drafted Anthony Randolph who was a power forward. So, you know, I actually played just as much of it as him my rookie year, but he was under contract for two more years. So they already had a couple of other power forwards. Um, so I had a lot of interest after my first year uh, from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, that was the year Shaq was in Cleveland uh, with LeBron and 
Uh, and so I ended up going to training camp in Cleveland, uh, made it to the last cut. Uh, unfortunately, it was a numbers game thing. They ended up keeping 14 as opposed to 15 players. Um, and I decided to go to the D League at that point. Um, so I played in the D League. I played very well. Um, I was all D League. And then I got called up by the Bulls at the end of the season. So, um, and then at the end of that season, uh, we actually ended up playing the Cavs in the first round of the playoffs. Um, the issue was is that there was the potential NBA lockout that summer. So I had this decision of, you know, do I kind of wait and see what happens or do I go and, you know, play and get a chance to play in Europe, which was a good experience. Um, so I ended up taking the opportunity to go play in Spain um, because my buddy uh, Joe Ingles was on the team. You know, Joe Ingles plays for the Utah Jazz. Um, we had lived together the previous summer because we have the same agent. So we were training for the draft. He ended up pulling his name out, but we spent three months every day training and became a very close friend of mine. Um, so I ended up going to Spain to play with Joe because I thought, you know, it would be a good, um, you know, good life experience. I've never been to Europe, um, get to play at a high level. And um, I was kind of frustrated at that point after having gone to training camp with the Cavs and, uh, you know, ultimately had been, you know, unsuccessful. Um, so unfortunately, I really, um, you know, I made that decision uh, partly because, uh, you know, what was happening with the potential lockout. And then also I thought it was a good opportunity for me to go play at a good league and at a high level and ultimately could lead me back to the NBA. That's a great, um, that's a great story. And kind of keeping on with transitioning from the NBA to playing overseas. Now, how different are the leagues? For our listeners that may not be familiar with um, overseas basketball, is it pretty much the same is the focus the same kind of what, what's the mentality like for basketball overseas versus in the NBA? Yeah. So great question. Um, so I think it's just, it's a different overall model. Um, you know, the, the thing that I think the biggest challenge was, you know, in college, in the NBA, you know, you're playing at least, you know, a lot of times three games a week um, in the NBA, sometimes four. And, you know, in Europe, for example, if you're playing in the Spanish league, um, you know, you could play, you know, most of the time just once a week. So it's a ton of practice. Uh, a lot of days you're practicing twice a day. Um, whereas in the NBA, you know, once you get through training camp, you know, it's always about preparing for the next game. And you usually have a game within one or two days. Uh, in Europe, you know, for the most part, I would have a game on either Saturday or Sunday. And then if we didn't have another game, it was a long week of practice. So I found the gaps in between games to be very, very kind of frustrating. Um, I didn't like the fact that you didn't have multiple games. Uh, and the reason for that was because the way that the leagues are structured, uh, you play in, inside your domestic league. And then if you're one of the top teams, you'll play what's called Euro Cup or Euro League. So you'll play the best teams from the other countries. So typically they would play on like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And then you'd play in your domestic league on Saturday or Sunday. So if you weren't playing in one of those international competitions, uh, the weeks could get kind of long. And so I think that was the biggest challenge for me was, you know, it's a 10 month season. It's a long time to be away from your family. Uh, and a lot of times you're only playing one game a week and I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, let's play three games and let's have the season over in, you know, five months. But um, so I think, you know, that's one big difference. The other big difference is, you know, at Notre Dame, you know, we flew private everywhere. We stayed in the nicest hotels. Um, you know, in Europe, it's different. You're taking, you know, bus trips, you're taking trains. Um, 
you know, it's just a different, different overall experience. Um, the teams a lot of times are either locally owned by, you know, the government or, um, you know, a wealthy business owner, uh, you know, so they're not, you know, they don't have as much infrastructure. They don't have as much funding. Uh, you know, NBA teams are billion dollar businesses. Uh, you know, in Europe, you know, you play in Spain and some of the small towns and, um, you know, they're owned by, you know, a wealthy team or a wealthy person or a, a local business or a local government. And, you know, they just simply don't have the same amount of resources. Um, it's not to say that the experience isn't great. It's just, you know, it's different than flying private in the NBA and traveling with five massage therapists and, you know, everything that the NBA entails. So I think, you know, it's a big difference, you know, getting used to, I think, some of the lifestyle adjustments, but you know, you're playing basketball for a living and it's a great experience overall. It's just, you know, it's much different. But I think the biggest challenges were the length of season and playing only, you know, once a week for, you know, 10 months. It's just um, that I found to be frustrating. Did you play, did you happen to play on a EuroLeague team? No, I, I never played on a EuroLeague team. Um, I was supposed to go and ended up, I had a couple opportunities to play Euro Cup and then EuroLeague. Um, and always end up playing, um, you know, in other situations. So no, I never did. Okay. Yeah. Well, man, that sounds like a uh, it sounds like an NFL schedule almost, man. <laughs> it was once a week. That was crazy. It's but just too I, much practice, man, in between games. <laughs> you know, like practicing twice a day. You know how when you get older, practicing twice a day, it's just yeah, beat it's you up, you know? beat you yeah, up. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, what I wanted to go back, I wanted to kind of circle back to some of the highlights, um, or let you tell it. When when you went to Notre Dame, I wasn't really a fan of Notre Dame basketball until that group that you was part of was in Notre Dame. And I feel like you guys uh, pushed Notre Dame to a new level of basketball. Um, can you talk about your experience in Notre Dame, some of the most notable times that you had? Yeah, sure. So I, I came into Notre Dame at kind of an interesting time. Um, you know, Coach Bray was a young coach. You know, he got his start with Danny Ferry. Um, he was actually a JV high school coach at DeMatha. And then Danny Ferry got recruited to Duke. And he actually went from an assistant at DeMatha to on the staff of Mike Krzyzewski. And so he was a part of, you know, the famous, the you know, a couple of the famous, you know, Final Four teams with Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill. And then from there, he got a head job at Delaware. So, you know, Coach Bray, when I got there, was a younger head coach. You know, I wanted to play for a younger coach. Um, he had a great young player uh, named Matt Carroll, who, you know, grew up in the Philadelphia area. He grew up down the street from me, ended up playing in the NBA. And, um, you know, he still works for the Charlotte Bobcats. So Matt was really like a big mentor to me. Another guy that grew up in Philly was Martin Inglesby. Um, and Martin was on the same high school team at Archbishop Carroll with my cousin, uh, so I grew up, you know, with Martin. Martin was on the staff. Uh, so Notre Dame kind of felt like home. Um, and I think what happened was when uh, Coach Bray got there, uh, he really started to turn the program around. He had Troy Murphy and Matt Carroll. Mm -hmm. And we started to put guys back in the NBA. Uh, you know, we got back to the tournament consistently. And so I think really um, the team before I got there and then my teams kind of solidified that, you know, we're a, you know, a legitimate, you know, top 30 program in the country, um, which was good because kind of prior to Coach Bray getting there, we had some years where, you know, the program wasn't doing great. So, you know, I think we definitely helped, you know, change the culture and, and, and change the stature of the program to have it more on the par with football. Right. Wow, great. I want to dabble into 
the the, the um, process of the NBA. Um, um, two questions. One, what was your mindset during the draft process? Uh, you know, it didn't go the way you did, but you got that call to come on the NBA team. And two, when you got the NBA team, you saw Monta Ellis, you saw um, Jamal Crawford, you saw Stephen Jackson, you saw all these guys. Yep. You know, you would practice right then. How was that experience? Yeah, great question. So, you know, my experience was a little different. Um, you know, I wanted to just get in front of every NBA team I could. So, um, you know, I didn't think that I was going to get drafted. So I knew I was going to have to make it the hard way. So, you know, my agent was just trying to get me in front of as many teams to do pre-draft workouts as I could. Because I knew if I got in front of teams, you know, they would say, oh, you know, he, he didn't really get an opportunity to show, you know, his true potential at Notre Dame. Um, so I really wanted to get in front of teams. Um, I ended up going, having the best workout of, of all, you know, for the Warriors. And uh, Kelvin, you'll, you'll laugh, but Maurice Rice was actually in my workout uh, for the Warriors, local Philly guy that we grew up with. So Maurice Rice was in the workout. Uh, I played great. Um, Chris Mullen, the GM at the time, told my agent that I was in the mix for the second round pick, uh, which I thought was great. Um, and it's funny because I didn't think the Warriors necessarily were the ideal fit for me, but looking back on it, they were the absolute ideal fit. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the first round, they picked Anthony Randolph, who was a power forward, uh, a, a freshman from LSU. So I'm like, oh man, same position. It was like, there's no way I'm playing for this team. So then the second round pick comes and they pick another power forward, Richard Hendricks from Alabama, who we had, you know, just played the year before. And so, um, you know, they had picked two power forwards. I'm like, there's no way they're going to have three rookie power forwards on the same team. Uh, but I went to, I went to uh, summer league. I ended up going to summer league with the Warriors. I played great in summer league. I outplayed Richard Hendricks in summer league. Uh, and then I got invited to training camp and ultimately uh, ended up beating uh, Richard Hendricks out the second round pick uh, in spite of the fact that they had given him guaranteed money. Um, so I, you know, I, I really, you know, a lot of it was, um, you know, a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work and, and, and timing, but, uh, but yeah, it was, my path was much harder than, you know, most people's, um, you know, if I didn't make this buzzer beater that I hit in China in the preseason, um, I might've never played in the NBA. So, you know, I had a kind of a tough road, but, uh, you know, I had to make the most of it. And that's the thing is like I tell everybody is your margin for error to make it in the league is, is so thin, you know, there's only 400 plus jobs in the entire world. And, you know, everybody wants to play in the NBA. So I, I was lucky, but, um, you know, I took advantage of an opportunity and, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed for the experience. So you were part of one of those epic summer league rosters because I think Anthony Randolph had like uh, a summer league for the ages. I think he dropped like 42 points in one of the games. Uh, he did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did. And then Marco Bellinelli, they called him Mr. Las Vegas because he had yeah. like 37 the year before. Yeah. And then yeah. – Anthony Morrow, my rookie year, I mean, he lit summer league up too. So, um, and honestly, I didn't even, I didn't even really get that much of an opportunity to play. We played for three straight weeks. We played in Vegas and then in Utah, this was back when they had the Rocky Mountain Review. And um, I actually ended up playing a lot better in Utah because I just had more opportunity. Uh, but yeah, we had, I mean, you know how summer league is. Everybody's trying to make a job. So, you know, it's, it's tough to stand out in that environment, um, you know, because everybody's shooting every time they get it. So, uh, I was lucky because I had three weeks and then I, I played a lot better the last two weeks. And then ultimately that secured me going to training camp, which was great. Yeah. So you, you kind of talked about just a little bit like 
you know, summer league, there's a lot going on. And then training camp, you said you got invited to the Cavs training camp. You got to play with two – one Hall of Famer, one future Hall of Famer. You got to play uh, – see Shaq in action. Now, granted, Shaq is – and when he went to the Cavs, he was like – he he was uh, – he wasn't Superman anymore. He was, he was just uh, Shaquille. But yeah. – uh, and then you got to see LeBron in person. What were your takeaways in being in that environment of a training camp for both Shaquille yeah. O'Neal and LeBron James? You know, it's interesting. Um, unbelievable experience. Uh, LeBron was a great teammate. You know, LeBron was just kind of coming into, you know, he was he was LeBron at that point. You know what I mean? He was, you know, it was, the league was really, at that point, it was him and Kobe. You know, it was still kind of Kobe's league. And LeBron was kind of, ascending to that next level of, you know, on the verge of winning his first championship. Um, you know, the thing about the NBA is like, you, you can't win unless you have a superstar on your team and you can't win big unless you have multiple superstars. Um, I think what the biggest takeaway for me was, um, you know, seeing that level of greatness up front every day, uh, you know, was pretty spectacular. LeBron was like an awesome teammate all the time. He was super generous you know, took everybody out to eat all the time. Um, you know, I had a great time being around him. Um, you know, hard worker, um, you know, did an amazing job taking care of his body. And then Shaq's just the the best. I mean, Shaq made sure every day everything was fun. You know, he's a larger than life personality. Um, you know, he was still at the end of his career, but, um, you know, still played well. And I, I had a blast being around him and just, you know, hearing stories about the league and, you know, the battles that he had had and, um, you know, truly, truly amazing experience, but both great guys, um, very different kind of personalities. Uh, but, you know, the team was very close. Everybody got along, um, you know, on the road, we would go out to dinner together. And um, so I had a great experience with both of them. Um, but, you know, it was cool seeing LeBron because he was at the peak of his athleticism and just the stuff that he would do in practice and in training camp was, you know, it was just like, man, that, I don't understand how anybody can be that athletic. And then, you know, Shaq was just, you know, at that point he was probably in 34, 35, but, uh, you know, he was still Shaq, still so physically dominant. Uh, and they really thought they could win a championship. So for me, it was great, you know, going through training camp on a team that had title expectations. And, you know, for them, it was championship or bust, right? So uh, I love that experience, loved learning a new system. Um, but it was great, you know, because LeBron uh, – obviously had one of the best best seasons of his career. And um, then we played him in the first round of the playoffs and we went to six games and, you know, had a battle, but um, you know, he just was ultimately too much for us. And uh, we ended up losing in six games. That was, the, was that the um, D Rose? What bulls was that? Was that D Rose bulls? D Rose, um, Luo Dang. We had Brad Miller, uh, Kirk Heinrich, Joakim Noah, um, Taj Gibson, Flip Murray was on the team, Hakeem Warwick. So we had three, three Philly guys on the team. Uh, Tim, Tim was your coach, right? Tim? Uh, Vinny Del Negro. Okay. Yeah, Vinny, yep. That was a good year. All right. So I'm going to transition the conversation a little bit and just kind of get your personal opinion on this. We can't have a guest on the show unless we answer this question. <sighs> Who is your GOAT, the greatest of all time NBA player? Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. I get asked this all the time. Um, to me, it's, it's you know, hands down Michael Jordan. Um, you know, I love 
LeBron. I played with him. He was wonderful to me. Um, I think a lot of the goat talk around LeBron is, is, is unfair, but I think from my perspective, you know, if you look at Michael Jordan and just what a great winner he was dating back to college, um, I just don't know how you argue kind of with six and oh. Um, I think the problem with, you know, head to head comparisons is you're essentially comparing, you know, LeBron's body of work, which will be 20 years, you know, to essentially Michael's 13. Um, and so I don't know how you do justice to both of them. Um, I think we should, you know, appreciate them both. Uh, but if you have to ask me, you know, who's the greatest, I would have to say Michael. I think Michael's career just defined greatness in sports, both on an individual and a team level. Um, I think he revolutionized the way sports marketing works. Um, you know, so I think, um, you know, two different eras, two different players, you know, two very di different systems and compare them. Um, but if you had to ask me, you know, I'd say, you know, definitely Michael Jordan um, followed closely by LeBron and, you know, three or four other players that are in my top five. Um, mm -hmm. They're all very close, but to me, it's, to me, it's my MJ. All right. Uh, we're going to let you go on this one. It's been a wonderful one so far. I'm going to let you go on this one. Unless somebody else has something. I just, we always ask this question, too. I just ask out the same thing. Who's the best player you've seen or played against? You know, I think it's it's got to be either LeBron or Kobe. Um, you know, growing up in Philly and having gone to Kobe's high school games, it's hard for me to not say Kobe. Um you know, but then again, LeBron historically is right up there with Kobe. So um, I would say it's a tie between between Kobe and LeBron for sure. I have one quick question. What is your top five? You know, it's... Hold up, hold up. Let me get the pen out. Got ahead of it. <laughs> you know, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, you know, and this is in no particular order, but um, I'm going to go MJ. Um, I'm going to go... Uh, LeBron, I'm going to go Magic, I'm going to go, got to go, I got to, I got to put Kobe in there and I got to put, uh, I got to put Kareem in there. Nice. Like that list. You honestly can't go wrong with that list, right? There's not really much to argue. You know, it's tough. I was, you think between like Will, you know, Shaq and 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 um and Kareem and I, I think you know just Kareem's sustained level of greatness over 20 years plus the championships it's hard to argue against him mm -hmm. although if you look at statistically you know Will averaged 50 points a game for a season so like what do you do with that you know yeah. um, he was arguably the greatest athlete big man um but you know he's got one championship so you gotta you gotta kind of way at all but that's and then Shaq I mean like Shaq could have been the greatest player ever right if he had stayed a little bit healthier and hadn't gotten as big later in his career mm -hmm. sometimes I don't think we give Shaq enough credit for just how truly dominant he was you know yeah. well he might have been honestly in my opinion too I think he was the most dominant player I've ever seen play basketball to be honest man yeah. go back to the go back to the early uh you know early Laker years mm. I mean he was unstoppable you know, seriously, so. seriously, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't put Bird in that top five. I was, I was wondering if you're gonna put Bird in there after you said Magic. You know, I love, I love Bird, but I was just like, you know, as great as Bird is, I think he's 
he's in like six to 10, you know, he's in that, you know, he's definitely top 10. He's like in my borderline, you know, top five. Um, I think you have to give the edge to, you know, to magic just cause he, you know, won a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but LeBron, yeah, I mean, and the other thing is bird remember got the back back injuries, you know, starting like when he was 32, 33. So, you know, he didn't get the same kind of longevity because of his injuries, but definitely yeah. top 10 in my opinion, for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed, um, and I'm sure our listeners will thoroughly enjoy um, your interview and your perspective. Um, it was really, really solid. And we never really had the opportunity to speak with someone that played overseas. And so that that was like really, really good um, to be able to hear what that experience was like. Um, and no thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And hopefully we can have you in the future again on a future show. Um, we would love to have you again. If you'll allow it. <laughs> no, let's get him to confirm on the record. <laughs> Come on to the next show with an expert analysis, right? Ha- happy to. Happy to. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful, uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful Sunday and hopefully uh Hopefully we won't get too much snow tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes. Please remember to follow us, like, share. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time. 